This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. If you're looking for the voices of strong women with tender hearts who are engaging issues that impact us all, but especially young women, this new series is for you. When COVID started, I paused the podcast and started a monthly membership community for women raising tween and teen girls. Each month we entered into our own stories and our daughter's glory through a relevant topic teen space. I interviewed experts and released them in this private group, and now you get to hear them too. Stay tuned for a lineup of wise thought leaders. I can't wait. Bill, can we just start with hearing a little bit about you and your your ministry of posture shift and just kind of give us a like a big bird's eye view of it at first? Sure. And in 2006, I, I really felt convicted. Um, when it comes to LGBT people, we only had this very moralistic, just don't do that. And if you do do it, uh, go outside the church to get some kind of help because we don't know what to do. And I had come to Christ in 1996, been on about 21 mission trips all around the world. And I just noticed wow, when we go reach people around the world, unengaged people, marginalized people, we don't go moralize them. <laughs> Many of them may have biblical beliefs outside the biblical box. They may have practices that are outside of uh, the Bible. And yet we don't go and tear people to pieces. Uh, we go and we start nourishing faith identity in people where they are as they are. So I founded Posture Shift on the basis of what would it look like for us to stop blaming people for being LGBT and turn the mirror around and say, are we good reflections of Jesus Christ to this marginalized people group? Um, Now been at it for about 15 years. Uh, Posture Shift has become a leading training program for uh, church leadership teams. That includes camps, Christian schools, Uh, We've trained about 75,000 church leaders, and then obviously that led to caring for a lot of families over the years as well. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the book Guiding Families to offer a best practice care plan uh, for families. So our goal is um, uh, creating a new church history where churches and homes are the safest places for LGBT people to come. Hmm. and to get help and to be cared for and to be listened to and to be walked with. And so posture shift accomplishes that in the church and guiding families accomplishes that in homes. Hmm. Bill, you talked about, you said changing history, just in case any of, of my listeners, you know, are surprised by that. Can you talk a little bit about the like the history and what you're trying to change, like the shift you're trying to make happen? Yes. Uh, Excellent question. One, we're talking about posture and not position. So with regard to our biblical position, we want to retain a God honoring, a faithful biblical position, a historic traditional view of marriage and sexuality. Um, But in regards to posture, wow. You know, Christ, 
his posture was torn to shreds, literally, in order to reveal God's great love for us and his amazing grace. So um, we want a history where our posture is really centered on honoring, serving, laying down our lives for, caring for LGBT folks. And when we look back at history, we don't find that. We look back in history and we find the Holocaust where known homosexual persons are placed in concentration camps after being followed by the Nazis and put on a pink list. They went from a pink list to having an upside down pink triangle on their uniform and they would be given the worst work assignments, the fewest rations, they would die at about two and a half times greater than the general concentration camp population. Fast forward to the AIDS crisis, a whole generation of young gay men in the final stages of dying of AIDS in hospice care and families are being notified and moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grandparents will not even come say goodbye to their loved one in the final moments of life. Hmm. Even to say, son, I know we didn't agree on much, but I, I just had to come tell you I love you. No, it, it, disownment in the most graphic way. Um, the pulse shooting, um, you know, like there's all these events of uh, trauma. In the last year, we've seen uh, horrific graphic assault and murder of trans individuals hmm. all across North America and Latin America. Uh, two uh, Puerto Rican trans, pe trans young people were burned in their vehicle alive. So um, it doesn't take much that happens in our world that where the gay community is hurt, where suddenly it triggers just yet another uh, step in history that's mm -hmm. repeating itself over and over again, even in our world today. Mm -hmm. And that's not to mention things that are more personal, like uh, being teased and name called and bullied growing up. So there's a lot of history to overcome. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> So I, I guess I'm most curious. I think this is probably reflected of so many of my moms who love the Lord, want to want to understand like what scriptures say, want to navigate this conversation, but wonder how to do that without mm -hmm. having theology and position, like what you said, Yes, make us stumble. And I feel yeah. so confused about that, like how to how to shift our posture without having doctrine right there. Yeah. Can yeah. we talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. And, and I'll even say just even with adults training, senior church leaders, theologians, senior pastors, executive pastors, elder boards. Um, I have to, when I'm taking us through this posture shift, I have to kind of remind us several times along the way, now, did our biblical beliefs change? No, they did not. Okay, then it's safe to keep proceeding. So even adults need this uh, assurance for ourselves, not just in regards to how we might discuss it with our, our kids. Um, <clears throat> with our children, this is what my wife and I decided to do. We said, we're not going to introduce things to our kids when they're just kids and they're just loving life and they're just enjoying life. We're gonna uh, wait for them to self-report things. 
But in order for them to self-report, we're going to make sure that we are pretty brave about the things that we talk about as a family. And uh, that way, you know, like they would have the safety and security to come to us. Now, it might not have worked this way. It might have worked to where our kids never came to us and then we might have felt a need to go to them. But at age nine, separately, uh, when each of our kids uh, reached age nine, I mean, I guess it's just a pivotal age, that both of them independently came to us privately and said, Mom and Dad, did you know there's gay people in the world? And we were like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, we know what gay people are and that there's a lot of gay people in the world. Um, What does gay mean to you? And so my daughter and my son roughly said the same thing. But uh, my daughter said, it's when two boys kiss and fall in love. I said, okay, yep, you pretty much understand what gay is. And so we talked about that. And it got to a point where I said, Anna, what do you think about that? And she said, I don't think it's what God wants. And the way we were able to handle the theology part is simply to say, did you know that the very thing that you just said that you think God thinks, it's exactly what the Bible teaches. In other words, it's almost like God has put inside you a knowledge of of what is okay with him and what is not. I said, but let's be clear. (laughs) There's a lot of things in all of our lives that are not okay with God. Do you agree? She said, yes, yes. I said, why did God send Jesus? He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Okay, so do gay people have as much of a chance to be loved by God and forgiven by God as the rest of us? Said, And my daughter said, yes, everyone has an opportunity. God wants to save everyone. So we're like, okay, this is great. Okay, enough theology. So then I switched the conversation a bit to say, now let's make this more practical. Who are we going to be to your LGBT friends that you grew up with? And my daughter paused a very long time. And she said, you mean it would, it would be okay if I invited a trans friend to my birthday party? And my wife and I both looked at her and said, we would not want any of your friends to miss out on an invitation to be at your birthday party. Because in our family, we are going to be inclusive. We are going to be caring and we're going to be loving. And LGBT kids are not always treated so well. Even in a secular school, that seems like everyone's talking about gay and maybe even in a way that it's okay. But guess what? Even in a very, very um, accepting atmosphere, it seems, there can be kids that are name-called, that are teased, that are pushed around into lockers. And I, I want us to be a family that those are exactly the kids that we become friends with. Mm-hmm. And that way we can be a family that surrounds their family with love and care in the name mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that our kids understood, one, you can talk about anything with us. 
Because later on, there might be things about their own sexuality that they need to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. We wanted to make it as safe as possible for them to come to us in the event that they had questions in the future about their gender or their sexuality. But we also wanted to prove believing something about what scripture says doesn't ever allow us to weaponize that belief against other people. Mm -hmm. God is always calling us to humbly hold our positions, honor him with our life, and radically, radically love people, even if they don't even believe in God. Mm-hmm. Bill, I, I love that. I love that. And my girl, my daughter was nine also. When <laughs> she, and I mean, she had a friend, a classmate transition and came back to third grade as a girl. And so that was a conversation I wasn't prepared to have when she was nine years old. Um, and you're, she had a similar kind of like innate, I don't know, this like innocent response of, I, I feel sad that God created someone and that person's gone. Like yeah. that was her nine-year-old yeah. response. But anyways, you know, it feels like one thing to, as you just described, almost external, our, our, our children's friends, the home we want to have, the church we want to build to love radically. I would imagine it feels quite different when a child comes home and says, and comes out. Um, And so what does a posture look like at that stage of the conversation at home? Yeah. You know, 15 years into this and having written Guiding Families, the one thing that I'm humbled by is the idea that it's so easy to just lay out the ideal. What that dismisses is what that parent is actually feeling at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. In other words, they're hearing something pop. Some parents might have suspected that a disclosure might be coming. In many cases, parents are not expecting the disclosure at all. And there can be a shock to that. There can be a disbelief. There can be a wanting to deny it. There can be uh, a wanting to blame it on culture or that school system. There can be a lot of things that parents are doing in what we call the early stages of grief that are potentially doing great, great harm to the trust between parent and child. So just to take a deep breath and say, whoa, parents are in a really tough spot in that moment to do all the right things if they were not expecting that disclosure to come. Um, And despite this, it is so important to do the right thing because we just don't know what our child has been through prior to that disclosure. If you've got a 12 year old um, who's coming out to you, I mean, look, I, I wish your child was not gay, you know, like, In other words, it'd be easier for them. It'd be easier for your family. It'd be a a lot easier in all of life. But my point is, thank God that that child came out at age 12 rather than holding in all this on the inside, carrying it on the inside, possibly the way that families sometimes speak about gay people continues in a potentially an ugly or an unthoughtful way. And that drives a child into further secrecy and hiddenness. Why? Not because they're bad and lying, 
because they're afraid of their own family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when a kid comes out, I want parents to make that as safe as possible, even if they are in shock. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to ask, but I just know it could be the difference between life and death. Mm-hmm. And it could be the difference between trust and distrust. And we know with teenagers, if we lose a trust with a, our teen, Mm-hmm. it could be a long time before we're able to repair that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are 20 somethings who are coming back and saying, mom and dad, I really did know that you love me. Oh, I've waited 12 years to hear that, you know, kind of thing. So we now teens could do that in general anyway, right? Without a loss of trust or they're just irritated by us, whatever. But we need to make it as safe as possible. So the response is something along the lines of, Wow, Joshua, mom and dad are so thankful that you trusted us to share. And uh, mom and dad are going to be studying and we're going to be, you know, getting some outside help to talk about things and make sure that we're caring for you in the best way possible. But we want you to know right now, you are our son. You are our daughter, you know, whoever we're talking about. You are are a child of God. God breathed his breath into you and he gave you to us. And in this family, there's no us and them. There is only us and you are always part of us. And we love you. You're talented. You're gifted. You work hard. Mom and dad are so proud of you. Nothing will ever change how proud we are of you. Now this versus silence or some yelling and screaming, you know, would be a much healthier response for everyone. And what it does is it infuses your child with a sense of like unconditional love and it buys you time to go order a book or call a pastor or reach out to a friend who went through this ahead of your family Mm -hmm. and say, help, we need help. Um, In the earlier years of my ministry, it could take up to a year for me to get a mom and dad to be doing, quote unquote, the right response. There are so many hangups around that meant that our beliefs are changing. And it didn't mean that at all. But it's just convincing parents, you know, uh, 15 years ago, 12 years ago was extremely difficult. And I just finally got to a point where I said, I wasn't shaming the parents. I understood their predicament. But I just thought, good grief, we will not be able to save young lives if it takes a year. Like, I've got a really bad ministry if it takes us a year. So I documented our best practice approach with parents and then ended up writing Guiding Families. And it became our mobilized care plan that -hmm. when parents, kids come out, they can order the book, they can get it. After they've said all these wonderful initial things to their child, it can buy them time for them to study, and then they can get grounded in the confidence of why that's a right approach rather than an unbiblical approach. Mm. As we often say, it's, and we encourage pastors and pastorship to say this from the pulpit, it is not godly to disown or to threaten to disown your LGBT children. Right, right, yeah. Um, 
Bill, you mentioned just that what you've seen over the last 15 years. And I wonder, I, I feel like even in the last couple of years, the conversation has shifted even, even more to where loving equals affirming. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know you know what yes, I mean. I Is that a correct read that that has grown um, in, in kind of the standard of loving well yeah. looks like affirming that this is God's plan and marriage can be same-sex marriage can be holy. And like that those two now feel like that's what I have to do. And I feel torn. I feel confused. I feel stuck still. I have a stack of books on every side. <laughs> um, but I honestly feel it's harder to have conversations with my Christian friends who want to be affirming because I feel like I don't feel as loving. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, I don't go around trying to change what other people believe. <laughs> That's a rule I just set a long time ago. I can't control what people believe. I, I can't control what the next generation believes for sure. <laughs> you know, right. so understanding what we can do and what we can't do, it actually gives me a lot of freedom. Oh, mm -hmm. thank you, Lord, that I don't have that much power to control mm -hmm. other people. I can just let go of that. So now what am I going to do? Am I confident about what the Bible teaches or not? And if I'm not, the good, great thing is there's a, a lot of really good resources today. And the number one resource I would always point to is People to be Loved by Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Mm -hmm. He does a great evaluation of a side A, affirming, and a side B, traditional view. Mm -hmm. uh, he comes down in a very traditional uh, biblical uh, framework, but with a really generous posture, just like our ministry. And uh, Preston is a good friend. He does a great job handling the theology. He is a theologian. And uh, that's a number one resource if, as a, a, one of your listeners is wondering, well, I really don't know what to believe anymore. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. If you let a people group be mistreated so long, people will default to an affirming view because there's been no distinction between position mm -hmm. and posture. Mm -hmm. When you start to prove that posture can be beautiful, generous, loving, caring, while you still hold to a traditional view, then it allows people to separate, ooh, yeah, I've got to do two things. I have to faithfully honor God and radically love people, hmm. not just please people. And so that can be a helpful distinction to make. Now, but let's think about this from the LGBT person's perspective um, of all ages, by the way, but particularly teens. We have to admit acceptance would feel a lot more like love and acceptance if we had agreement with what they believe. Hmm. So oftentimes we're having teens that are coming and saying, well, my parents say they accept me but they have a belief that would not support me getting married biblically or even dating. And that doesn't mean the parents are preventing them from dating. It just means there's a difference of belief. Okay, I understand the discomfort of that from a, a teenager's perspective. However, if we ever get to the point where we define love as unity and belief, we will have come to a very unbiblical definition of love. Hmm. And by the way, 
the divisiveness in our culture today is nearly demanding that. Mm. You either accept, you either love, you either believe what I believe, or else you're no friend of mine, or Mm. you're a hate monger, or you're a heretic, you know? Mm. So there's all this division and all these accusations going back and forth. And that's at a macro level in our culture. And that fuels into what our kids hear. And then they predefine that love means unity and belief or true love does. So it's so sad that our children today are actually learning from divisive Mm -hmm. adults, a false definition of love. Mm -hmm. Now, the opportunity here, proving one person at a time, one family member at a time, one encounter at a time, through our actions, our attitudes, and our words, that love exists in a very palpable, practical, meaningful way in the midst of a difference of opinion or mm-hmm. belief. Mm-hmm. So what I'm often encouraging, uh, teen, I work with teens and their parents together because like, we're not gonna make progress in a family if I'm just working with the teen and the teen is complaining about mom and dad. And if I'm just talking to the parents and why did they choose to be gay? You know, okay, no, no. Okay, we might have to work separately to kind of clean up some language and some ideas there, but we've got to get together. Because I want that teenager to start to experience, oh, my parents have a different belief than I do, but they're actually deeply respecting me. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're deeply trusting me. Oh, wow. They're showering me with, uh, you know, encouragements and affection. And so I just figure the only way that we can get past this stage, it's actually an opportunity for the gospel to shine right now. You know, like for the gospel to break into young lives as parents prove, son, we don't have to believe the same thing on everything in order for there to be love between us. Why? Because you're, because you're my son, you're my daughter. And let me tell you this, nothing is ever going to get between me and you. And on my side, at least. In other words, you cannot imagine how deep my heart is filled with love for you. Uh, you are my cherished angel and nothing will ever change that no matter what. Mm-hmm. So we've got to prove it one encounter at a time. A teenager may de- need to hear that from their parents 50 times before they finally start to feel it on the inside. Mm-hmm. Bill, I see that you have your pronouns next to your name here and Let's, let's talk about that briefly. You know, my, I've got a college student, another one headed to college. All of the applications these days are asking that my son works on campus and is, you know, being asked to introduce himself with his pronouns. So that's a whole new world. Um, And I know there's tension for some people thinking, well, that might endorse, uh, you know, a view that I don't have. Um, I imagine for you, it's just a sign of respect. But can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think our kids are facing that more and more. Sure. In best practice missiology, every missionary understands you don't reach people with the gospel if you don't have proximity. Hmm. And you can't have proximity if you don't have trust. And you can't have trust if you don't have understanding. Hmm. And you can't have understanding if you don't take a listener-learner posture and ask people about their life and allow them to have an elevated voice with a Christian listening to them rather than telling them everything. Mm. 
So credibility wise, it's the minimum threshold to engage trans people uh, to refer to them by their chosen name and their preferred pronouns. What does that cost me of my beliefs? Nothing. Why? Because I still believe that God created male and female in the beginning. But I also know there's an island in the Caribbean where girls are girls until they become boys at age 12 when uh, 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 male genitalia drops down out of what looked like female uh, genitalia. So there are complex things that happen at the anatomical level, and there are even more complex things that happen in the endocrine in, at, in the endocrine system and at the biochemical level. And I know there are some very real reasons why gender can be confusing or uncertain or uh, not in alignment with birth sex. Uh, there are intersex people in the world that are uh, born with ambiguous genitalia, some expression of both genitalia. And people think, oh yeah, just do a surgery and make them a boy or a girl. See if the kid is playing with trucks or not. You know, no, 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 you, you do not do that. Intersex individuals are actually right now arguing for the protection that no surgery will be done on them until they get to be an adult when gender is more secure. So I just figure since there's ways in which people are actually born that way, then there, and there, we know there are way other uh, uh, things that can happen due to uh, nurture, obviously, but those nurture things that have happened, those can be very wounding things that have happened that, you know, like if, if a young girl was molested, it may not be emotionally or psychologically safe for them to even be in the body of a female. And so there can be all kinds of reasons. I want to stay away from the idea that all trans people were molested. I'm not saying that. But what I'm suggesting is that there's a wide range of how gender identity can be uncertain or out of alignment with birth sex. And it requires mercy. It requires deep compassion. And it requires thoughtful and respectful engagement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As, a, as a theologian at Denver Seminary said when we presented Posture Shift, we were talking about trans people and it was getting pretty complex. And I think there were some people uncomfortable in the room. And he got up and he said, you got to reach people where they are because you can't reach them where they're not. Hmm. I thought that was very powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in our teaching, we say a gospel of exclusion and rejection has no power to reach already banished people. So you think a trans person hasn't already had Christians say, well, I'm not going to be part of your delusion. How about be a Christian that is engaging them where they are, as they are, even mm -hmm. if you don't fully understand why yeah. they are where yeah. they are. I love that at the bare minimum, just the bare yeah. minimum of bare minimum. where they are. Without the, There's no trust without that. Mm -hmm. My name is, and you won't even call me my name, Right. How could I ever feel safe with you? Exactly. I, I love that, Bill. Man, you are a wealth of knowledge. I could keep talking and talking and talking with you. I want to ask you one more question, if you don't mind, sure. because I, I sense this is um, more and more a thing with young teen girls. And I just would love to hear your thoughts on um, the, the rise of 
gender confusion with young teen girls and identifying as bi or pan or, um, I don't, I don't want to use the word contagion and, and yet I see spontaneous, you know, groups of girlfriends all coming out and that is questionable to me. So can you speak to that a little bit? Cause that's the age group our girls are in. Yes. So uh, let me go at a, at a level of parenting um, before this stage kicks in. Um, what my wife and I decided is we said, we're always going to tuck our kids in at night. It's kind of the most intimate moment. It's mm-hmm. kind of the safest connection moment. It's kind of the moment where they might share something that they otherwise wouldn't feel comfortable sharing with during the day. And uh, my daughter got to be um, 12 or 13. And I, and I said, Hey, sis, dad's going to come tuck you in. She goes, no, it's okay. I'm too old. And I kind of was a little bit in shock. And then I was a little bit sad. And then I, I really felt this, wait, no. What she's saying is that tucking in is not right for her. But that doesn't mean talking is no longer permissible. So the next night, I just went and I sat on her bedside. I didn't say anything about tucking in. And my wife and I, we just went in there and we just said, how, sis, how was your day? You know, and, and this little girl just started talking on and on and on and on. And then finally, my wife said, do you want mom and dad to rub your feet? She goes, yes, that'd be great. All of a sudden, we lost the language, but we still kept the tradition of staying close. Why did we do that? We wanted to infuse in both of our kids. You are a child of God and you are strong and you are loved as you are. And you don't have to find your identity through your peers. In your teenage years, there's already enough temptation to do that. So now let's go back to your question. I'm not saying that if we do all that, that it will prevent this. Right now, we're seeing kids 16 to 20 years old identify, uh, actually 14 to 20 years old, identify as non-binary or trans. We'll say trans asterisk. Mm -hmm. The asterisk could mean binary, gender, non-binary, gender queer, agender. uh, And some kids will be confused about gender and sexuality. and, And they'll actually come out first as pansexual. And then they'll come out as non-binary later. So we're seeing 16 to 20% of teens identify as something in the spectrum of trans asterisk. Mm -hmm. There's not that many trans people in the world. Uh, We know actual trans individuals that are young who will outgrow the gender dysphoria. They'll just organically, it'll, it'll no longer cause anxious pain inside them and they'll feel more comfortable with their body. And that's a, a, that's an organic process. Nothing you can do to make it happen. Nothing you can do to prevent it from happening. Uh, If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There are lifelong trans individuals. And then there are these experiences where kids are identifying as trans and then they no longer feel compelled to do so. I say 
acceptance and love, the model we've been talking about today is needed in both scenarios. Mm. Um, if we love and accept, instead of trying to talk our kids out of, then if they really aren't trans long-term or if they really aren't non-binary long-term, then they will organically move out of that and it'll be a developmental thing. We know in the adult population, the uh, trans people make up just a little bit, maybe more than 1% of the population. Sure enough, between the ages of 18 and 26, we'll see that 16 to 20% go down to nearly 1% in the adult population. Mm. So I think there is identity through affiliation and belonging. Um, let's say a kid has a loving mom and dad, but somehow doesn't feel connected to mom and dad, but feels very connected to peers. What if a girl doesn't feel safe with boys, but feels safe with um, uh, like, like being non-binary, like, oh, wow, if I'm non-binary, I don't have to live by the expectations of being a girl or a boy. I mean, if I'm a girl, everyone's saying, why aren't you dating that boy? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Mm -hmm. And if I'm non-binary, all of a sudden, I kind of have freedom to just kind of be me. So I think there are a lot of psychological, a lot of emotional reasons why young people are identifying as non-binary. And oftentimes we'll find safety is a primary driver for them. Mm. And that doesn't mean they have a harmful home. It just means possibly safety in their own skin, safety in their own changing body. Um, for boys and girls, you know, we think development of their body is this beautiful uh, coming of age thing. Well, for them, it could be a very disgusting thing. For them, it could be something that makes them nauseous. So if they could be non-binary and not have to deal with all that's going on there, they could have a little bit of relief from that anxiety. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that the same posture is, is needed for yes. us parents is to love, 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 be a safe place yes. and maybe relax a little bit. I'm hearing you yep. say, let exactly. time, not make any drastic decisions because as you're saying, time often changes those feelings. That's right. Now, here's where I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going to a place of, hey, let, let's get a minor on hormones or, you know, let's start talking surgery and things like this. No, I don't want any of those decisions to be made until a young person is an adult and they can make those decisions on their own. Um, now, there can be some extreme cases where hormone therapy is needed regardless of gender identity in all in an, in a number of children for different situations that they face. So I'm not moralizing or immoralizing hormones. I'm simply saying, I am not encouraging parents to just go along with whatever the requests are, mm -hmm. you know, but that basic aspect of, oh, wow, my child feels compelled or a need to identify as non-binary. Okay. Mom and dad love you. You know, we're with you. Hmm. We're with you, they, them, there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in other words, that's not so hard. In fact, uh, Leslie on our team uh, identifies as non-binary as a way of getting relief from dysphoric pain that would cause them to want to transition to be a male. So in order to follow God, 
Leslie identifies as non-binary, it takes the pressure off of the dysphoria so that they don't transition because they want to obey God. Mm. And Leslie is really awesome. Uh, They say, we use plural pronouns for individuals all the time and don't even realize it. Uh, Someone leaves their coat and we say, oh, they left their coat. We'll have to contact them and let them know. (laughs) And we say that all the time and don't even think about it. And it could be an individual that we're talking about. So it seems like a big step. It's really not that big of a step. And uh, this last story will be will express why it may be so mm-hmm. critical to do, to kind of be flexible. 23-year-old kid uh, contacted me, said, Bill, uh, I, I, use, I, I have identified as trans since I was 14. I said, oh, it's an honor to meet you, David. And he said, well, but I, 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 don't, I don't identify as trans now. I said, wow, you mean the dysphoria is gone? And he said, uh, yeah, it's totally gone. And I don't even feel anything about wanting to be trans at all. I said, David, I'm just so thankful that you don't have to deal with that anymore. The anxiety of it and everything, that's so much to carry. I'm so happy for you. He said, well, I'm not so happy. I said, why? He said, because in my daily life, I can't live a trans life. But every time I go home, I dress back up and I become a trans person. I said, David, why do you do that? He said, because since I was 14, my parents yelled at me, screamed at me, told me I was living a delusion and I've internalized all that rejection all these years, I don't have enough safety to go home and hear them bark at me one more time and telling me, see, we told you you were wrong. Mm -hmm. So look, acceptance I believe is the right approach because it gives our kids the freedom to know that when if they reach a day when it's no longer compelling, they will have the freedom that it's no longer compelling. Hmm. Bill, thank you so much. Thanks for your ministry. Thank you for this conversation. Um, I'm going to put the the guiding families link and in the in the notes here that other moms can can reach out. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor. Hmm. Thanks for listening today. If you're curious about something you heard, check the show notes for links to learn more. And perhaps you'd like to check out one of the Fierce and Lovely mini-courses for a deep dive into a particular parenting topic. That link is in the notes, too. Fierce and Lovely is a proud partner of the Restore Universe, where like-minded practitioners and programs are all infused with the Restory approach. Curious? Check us out at RestoryUniverse.com.